reading. This time, the passage we'll be thinking about together today from the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study in Mark's Gospel, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 23, and then reading to the sixth verse of chapter 3. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wines will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look! Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their hardened hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's really an extraordinary passage. It's an extraordinary time in Jesus' ministry where there is controversy after controversy, as we've just read, where the religious leaders of the day just aren't getting it, to say the least. And so when it comes to fasting... They don't understand that when Messiah is with the people of God, that's no time to fast. That's a time to rejoice and to celebrate. And they don't really understand that the newness that the Messiah, that Jesus is bringing, it doesn't fit with some of their old ways and their old traditions. It doesn't work to try to pour the new wine into the old wineskins. And when it comes to Sabbath, they fundamentally misunderstood what it is all about as well. 
And in a well-intentioned desire, as Pastor Donna shared too, about sort of protecting and guarding the Sabbath, they've turned it into something that God never really intended. And here they have this man suffering with a shriveled hand, and they're not, they don't think he should be helped and healed, not on a Sabbath day. And Jesus is showing them and saying to them in different ways, I'm the bridegroom. When I'm here, it's not the time to fast. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who tells you what it really means and how you really put it into practice. The controversies continue back and forth throughout Jesus' ministry. But verse 6, it's really easy to just sort of in a Bible reading in church to kind of miss what's going on there. The Pharisees are the seriously committed ones, the most devout students of Scripture, the religious leaders of the professing people, the old covenant people of God. And Messiah is right in their midst, but they're missing it so badly, and the conflicts get so intense that verse 6 really should seem extraordinary to us. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, the, the adherents of one of the Herods, that half-pagan, half-Jewish political opportunist tyrant, that's who they align with and join up with and for what goal? They want to kill Jesus, the Messiah that they've been waiting for, for hundreds, for thousands of years. I went to see the latest Star Wars movie a few weeks ago. Some people loved it, some didn't. I'm not going to say because then that'll, you know, <laughs> parties and constituencies will form on the basis of that. But for me, clearly the most memorable line came from Han Solo after Finn, and you know, if you didn't see it, it's not going to matter much in the long run what I'm going to say. And by the way, I almost had the name of, wrong of the, one of the characters wrong, and I thought, if I get that wrong in creative, they'll shut down immediately if I don't know my <laughs> Star Wars characters. But Finn is trying to explain his half-baked plan for getting into the enemy's facility to lower the shields, trying to explain that to Hans Solo. And Hans is saying, well, how are you going to do that? You don't have the How are you going to do that? And Finn finally just resorts to saying, we'll figure it out. We'll use the force. And Hans says... That's not how the force works. That's not what it's for. What is so striking throughout this whole section of Mark's gospel is that again and again Christ is saying to the Pharisees who of all people should have known better, who should have known best, he's saying to them about Sabbath. That's not how the Sabbath works. That's not what it's for. He's saying to them about fasting. That's not how fasting works. 
That's not what it's for. He's saying to them about the way they interpret and apply the Word of God so that they really could think it was preferable. Don't heal this guy. Let him suffer. It's Sabbath day after all. That's not how the Word of God works. That's not what theology is for. And again, this whole series of controversies end with this extraordinary development that the religious leaders of all people plot to get rid of the man who was the very Messiah that they've been waiting for. So, how in the world did it come to this? How is it possible that the leaders, the religious, theological, Bible-studying leaders of the professing people of God could be so far off? In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, Jesus says this about these same religious leaders. God's word does not dwell in you. That is an extraordinary accusation to say to Pharisees and to Sadducees. For you do not believe the one he sent. That's the proof that God's word doesn't really live in them. And then he presses the point even further. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying, you religious leaders believe and think that in the scriptures you'll find the way and wisdom to receive the eternal life that God promises. And you're right. That's how the scriptures are supposed to work. They are supposed to lead you to God and to God's Son and the Messiah. But in your case, something has gone so badly, chronically, and habitually wrong that instead of your scripture study and your engagement with God and your engagement with religion leading you to receive me, you're out to destroy me. And you won't come to me to receive eternal life. And again and again in his own life and ministry, Jesus relies on the word of God in scripture to tell the true nature of God's will regarding every aspect of life, faith, and faithfulness. And so in Mark 12, 24, we find him saying to the religious leaders who are opposing him, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures. Again, to that group, there's hardly anything more of a zing that he could have said if you had rightly interpreted and understood scripture. And so in Matthew's account of this same incident about the Sabbath healing, the healing condemned by the Pharisees, Jesus said, and he's quoting Hosea, he's about to quote Hosea 6, if you had known what these words mean. In other words, if you knew your Bibles better, then you wouldn't have condemned this man. You wouldn't have condemned the innocent. But instead, you have reconfigured something as important as the Sabbath for your own ideas and your own agendas, and you've gotten it so badly wrong. Go to Mark chapter 7 and verse 5. 
to see this play out in another way. It's another religious practice, this time the washings. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law, in other words, the Bible teachers, asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Now, the tradition of the elders is the Bible commentary that have grown up alongside the Word of God, their own ideas and applications and theologizing that have grown up alongside in history the Word of God. That's the tradition of the elders. It's not Scripture directly. It's Scripture as interpreted down through the centuries. That's what they're accusing Jesus of contradicting. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus' answer depends on what again? Scripture. He says, Isaiah, the prophet, was right when he prophesied about you, about you hypocrites, as it is written. Here's one little thing I would love for you to do. From now on, when you hear the word Scripture, think written down Word of God. Scripture is one of those theology words, and we don't really use... Script just means written down. It's the Word of God written. Dr. Greer always used to talk about the inscripturated Word of God. Where do we have access, certainly and infallibly, all the time reliably, to the words of God? In this book, that's what Scripture means, the written-down words of God. And Jesus says, it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but what? Their hearts are far from me. Jesus now is interpreting and applying Scripture, the living Word of God written down. It's a huge mistake to think, you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got so far off because they were preoccupied with Scripture. They were too devoted to the written Word of God. So the cure is to not be so preoccupied with Scripture. Absolutely not. Because all through his life and ministry, including right in the middle of these heated controversies, controversies Jesus himself, Son of God and Messiah doesn't get direct revelation again and again and again, a fresh new word from God again and again and again. Instead, he turns to Scripture as the authoritative source for his teaching about what God's will is. That also means he never took what, frankly, is kind of an intellectually lazy route by saying, well, who knows what the Bible really means? You've got your interpretation, I've got mine. No, instead... He said to those who opposed him, you're mistaken. He said in Mark 12, 24, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures. You think you do and you interpret them and you use them, but he says you're getting it wrong in these key ways. The correction is not to bypass scripture or become, you know, give up on it. The correction Interpret it rightly. Rightly understand what it means. And what's at stake when it comes to whether or not we interpret and apply scripturally, carefully, and truly or not? 
Jesus makes that clear in what he says next in verse 7. They worship me, and worship there doesn't mean head to synagogue or something. It means they practice their religion, they practice their spirituality. It's the day-by-day worship and service of God. But it's come to the place where they worship me in vain. It's a phrase that means empty, of no use. It's a farce. Because their teachings are merely rules taught by men. Jesus says in verse 8, you've let go of the commandments of God. That is, you've lost your grip on what God really wills and really wants and instead are holding on to the traditions and teachings of men. And he continued, you have a fine way. You've got this habit of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And so, because you've misunderstood and misinterpreted the Word of God in Scripture so habitually, and it's built up and it's accumulated years after years after years, now you're actually to the place where your worship is in vain. Your spirituality, your practiced-out religion is of no use. It's in vain. And you're still talking the talk and you're honoring me with your lips, but Pharisees and Sadducees, your heart's not with me. And so when I thought about this message, I thought, well, I'll try to explain the fasting part and where they got the Sabbath wrong. And and then I thought, you know, that could be a case of the forest and the trees where we might understand the trees better but miss the forest. So here is where I really want us to think. If this could happen to the professing people of God back then, how could we imagine that the same thing can't happen to us as the professing people of God today and for the same reasons. Surely we have to face the possibility that we too could actually get to the place where our own preferred versions of spirituality or religion and religious practice actually get so far off, and you're like, no, that's impossible. It happened to the fair. They're the fundamentalists. They're the radicals of their time. And it's gone so wrong with them. It could actually get to the place where the professing people of God oppose and nullify what true faith in God is supposed to be doing in our hearts and lives, including in our ministry and mission as a church together. Just hear this out to see things we've at least got to watch for. And could it actually be the case that we would turn into people who murmur and plot because now we're spiritually superior opponents and adversaries of true, authentic, Bible-centered, Christ-centered religion. And by the way, that word religion, ultimately I think it's really unhelpful and misleading to say that Christianity isn't a religion but a relationship for the one reason the Bible uses the word religion about Christianity, including in the book of James, the Webster Dictionary definition of religion is a personal set or system of relig- or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Surely that's what Christianity is. 
So I think it's better to say Christianity is a religion centered in a relationship to Jesus Christ. But mainly what I want us to think some about is the possible ways the professing people of God are tempted to distort and disfigure our Christian faith and practice, ministry and mission, in accordance with our own self-centered agendas and purposes, well-intentioned but still having a distorting effect. So let me try to give some examples. Think of when it comes to work and career and job. If I think I'm going to connect with God and the church and the Bible as some kind of strategy or technique for securing His blessings to give success to my business or my career, then I'm going to have to borrow from Hans again and say, that's not how the faith works. That's not what Christianity is all about. Think of worship again. So important. If I think that worship, these gatherings, are mainly about generating a certain feeling and mood in me through the music, through the lighting, through whatever to sort of rev me up or calm me down, whatever my emotional need is on a given Sunday morning. Again, I'm here to say, that is not how the faith works. And that's not what it's mainly about. Marriage and family, it's Valentine's Day. Okay, if I think I'm married and I'm just starting a family... I haven't been going to church, or I haven't for for a long, long time, but now I'm going to start to go to church and getting into some Bible study so I can make sure I'm a good husband or a good wife and so my kids can turn out okay. But again, if that's the main thing, if that's what's sort of driving and shaping and that's how you evaluate how church is going or how Bible study is going, that's not how the faith works. That's not what Christianity is mainly about. Here's one closer to home for someone like me, someone in the ministry. If my engaging with religion and church and doing all of this become a matter of carving out an identity for myself, it's where I get my significance and it's how I'm charting out my ambitions for vocational success and the status that I want out of it then I've, again, I've got to realize that's not how it works and it's not what it's for. We face the dangers in things like politics, using our religion for what matters even more to us, making America great again. And all of these things, I get the attraction, I get the point, and faith and God and salvation will affect and connect to all of those things, but never if they're the main thing and the primary thing. That's when we have to say that's not how the faith works and that's not what faith in God is fundamentally for. We face the danger in something as crucial and central to our spiritual life as prayer and praying. 
And so ask yourself, is your belief and practice about prayer shaped by a careful study of Scripture, rightly interpreted and applied? Or is what you think and do when it comes to praying shaped and driven really by your own agenda and purpose, what you want to get out of it, what you want it to be for you? Maybe kind of a personal therapy or as a means to bring you success in some coveted area of your life. To be very clear and practical about the principle we're talking about here, when it comes to something as important as prayer and how you actually think about it and how you actually do it, can you say how I pray and what I pray for is clearly taught in the written down Word of God let me take you to the passages that teach it, that show that how I pray and what I pray and why I'm praying is shaped by the written down Word of God. I've got chapter and verse rightly interpreted to show that that's the case. We could go on and on. It applies to how we think about being a part of a church. What, what does it mean to be a church member? What does it mean to be in fellowship and in community? Those are great ideas and great Bible words. But do we understand them in terms of careful biblical teaching? Because biblical teaching is the Word of God written down, and the Word of God is the way we know with the will of God what really truly pleases Him. How should we be doing outreach, evangelism, and mission? And make sure that our own ideas about it, our own agenda and purposes about it, don't get hijacked or don't hijack the actual will of God reflected in the written down word of God. Now please hear me out because it is true. Faith in God and knowing God and relating to God will affect and impact all these areas of our lives, our praying, our family life, our job and career, and engaging with God and following His will does bring collateral blessing and benefit to those areas. But getting what we want out of God on our own terms according to our own agenda in any of these areas, that's not how the faith works. And the lesson we should learn from the Pharisees in passages like this is when we try to make some secondary thing the main thing, we lose the main thing. And our worship, that is our lived out devotion to God, becomes, as Jesus says, in vain. What then is faith in God really for? How does real faith in God work? What is our relation? Well, that it's to lead us to Christ to know Him, to love Him, to depend on Him day by day, to want to serve Him. The catechism gets it right. We are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever in every area of life. But the catechism is right to go on to summarize the scriptural teaching. We do that. We figure out, how do I really know God? And how do I really enjoy Him and live for His glory? Through the written down Word of God again that tells us 
The main commandment, the primary one, is to love God with all that you are, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the most important thing about your religion and your engaging with God's Word, including in worship, is that you come to know truly how much you're loved by God and how love for Him is lived out by keeping His commandments, not carrying out our own agendas. And so, in all of these areas of life, prayer and fellowship, worship and evangelism. We want to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in that way, our study of the Scriptures will do the work it's supposed to do, which is every time, one way or another, lead you back to Jesus, lead you back to knowing more about Him, His grace, His holiness, His purpose, the Word of God is the easy yoke by which He leads us and gives us rest for our souls. The Word of God in Scripture then, rightly understood, pursued and practiced for real, will lead us to glorify God and in so doing, enjoy Him and His good purposes, which are way better than our own plan or program, ultimately, to enjoy those forever. That, beloved ones, is how the faith really works. That is what authentic faith in God is for. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I can well imagine that it just seems unlikely at first that we could get badly off target when we're around the church all the time and sort of participating in religious things all the time and the Pharisees and these episodes in the Gospel of Mark are just a warning that again our own ideas and our own uh, traditions, our own customs can get an accumulating force where something that was supposed to take us to you and bring us closer to you ends up in vain or worse. And so, Lord, may we be committed to the principle, I want to do all my worshiping and praying and devotions and witnessing and living in my family and pursuing my career according to the written down word of God because that's the only guarantee that I can get it right in enjoying you, in truly knowing Christ, knowing your love and grace, and being transformed by the truth, sanctified by the truth, the truth of your word. We pray for his glory and for our real and true good. Amen.